Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. Of CD game show trolls, the smiling lie of the televised hive. The witches are watching with their thousand eyes. Witches are watching with their thousand eyes. We smell rotten teeth. That speak beyond belief. A stick inside their skull. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 47. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going Warp Factor 8, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please, spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <laughs> The Fun Ideas Podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at com. I'm still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, plus the Warren Kramer book, the TTV Underdog book, the Monkey Solo book, and the Mad book, plus all the articles I've discussed last episode, so I really have nothing new to report this week. Our guest today has his own comic book store, Flying Colors, and he is the creator of Free Comic Book Day. He's also an avid music fan. Here he is, Joe Field. On the phone today, I have Joe Field, who is the head of Flying Colors Comics (laughs) and many other things, and we will learn that today. Uh, So, Joe, how are you today? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. All right, great. And, well, I mentioned Flying Colors. Uh, How many years has that been around? And I guess tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in uh, selling comic books. (laughs) You want me to take up the whole hour on this question, right? (laughs) Uh, If you want. I I got two other topics uh, at least. (laughs) um, Well, you know, I've I've been in the business for a long time. We're coming up on 31 years for Flying Colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I know here in the San Francisco Bay Area, that's um, definitely not the longest because there are other shops that have been around a, quite a number of years longer than us. But mm-hmm. um, it's been a good ride, 31 years. Uh, I, I got into it uh, back uh, in the 80s. Uh, I was working in radio from 78 to 88. I worked at a um, one of the last uh, media market AM top 40 powerhouses, KJOY, in, uh, in Stockton, California. And when I was there, I did a promotion to have Stockton renamed the home of the uh, the official birthplace of the Fantastic Four. And that got me the notice of, uh, well, uh, of Stan 
features writer for the L.A. Times uh, named Chuck Hillinger. And Chuck and a photographer spent a day with me in Stockton uh, just talking about this whole thing and taking tons of photos. And when that hit the newspaper, uh, one of the things they did was they, they called Stan and uh, to, uh, to get a quote in there. And Stan was all behind my idea okay. and wound up coming to, the, to Stockton and having a big presentation on the steps of City Hall where he was given the key to the city and <laughs> Marvel, Marvel delivered the official proclamation uh, and uh, which now hangs in City Hall in Stockton mm-hmm. and um, from that uh, well a- after that which was a morning thing uh, Stan and I did a signing at a comic book store there Al's Comics in Stockton still going after more than 40 years mm-hmm. and um we went to lunch, and at lunch he said, hey, kid, you did a really great job on this promotion. And I said, well, great, Stan. If you ever need anybody uh, for public, re- public relations or anything, just give me a buzz. Mm. And, I w- and I was shocked when a few months later he called and said, hey, remember when you told me? Uh, and uh, his wife's first novel was about to be published, and the publisher wasn't giving her enough promotion, so Stan wanted me to go out and um, drum up some interviews and, and reviews uh, for for her steamy little romance novel. Um, <laughs> and that got the attention of the guys who were starting WonderCon, which was at that point called the Wonderful World of Comics Convention, yeah. kind of an unwieldy title. <laughs> um, and uh, so they hired me to do advertising and promotions, and then within two years I became one of the partners in the show. Yeah. So... Then, <laughs> two years in, that's when I opened Flying Colors and got out of radio. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, what possessed you to open a store at that point? Was it just because of doing all those other things, or uh, you had always well, planned to? I, I, I had I had all kinds of other ideas. Uh, <laughs> during my time in radio, uh, I thought about getting into the advertising agency business, so I interviewed with some agencies in San Francisco, and they all said, hey, you're going to have to start in the mailroom, and at that point, uh, my wife and I already had our three young kids, and uh, that kind of starting over thing just wasn't really going to work. Um, I then went to the San Diego Con uh, for a couple, three years before Flying Colors opened, and I was looking for other kinds of jobs in comics. They're outside sales reps, marketing directors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and in every case, I said, hey, you've done a lot, you, you know, uh, you'd be great for something else, but you don't have anything in publishing, so mm. uh, sorry, can't use you. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, one of those was I was interviewed by Bud Plant uh, mm. to be the marketing director for his distribution company, which was based in Grass Valley, California. Right. And this was before Bud sold to Diamond Comic Distributors, which is now the, the big dog in, in comics distribution. Right.
I got into comics retail. Now, did you have a, 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 a big collection already, or did you have to start from scratch at that point? Well, so... <laughs> Uh, at one point, I had a really good collection, but uh, to pay for my last year of college, I sold my collection. <laughs> uh, and that was in 1977. Uh -huh. um, and it was a good collection. I, uh -huh. I, uh, I, I sold it to someone who wound, uh, wound up being one of my competitors in the Contra Costa area. Uh -huh. um, but um, uh, no, no regrets on selling that. Then after my wife and I started our family in the early 80s, that's when I asked her, I said, you know, I'd really love to be able to pass on my childhood love of comics to my kids. Hmm. Is it okay if I restart my collection? And, and she said yes. Yeah. Now, now <laughs> well, let's stop for a minute and Mistake. appreciate no. No. that. <laughs> <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> she's always been very supportive, and um, and so she said, yeah, go for it. So I started to reassemble my collection, uh, and yeah, here it is. I've got three beautiful daughters who are all doing wonderful things in the world, and um, and none of them really care a whole lot about my amazing Spider-Man collection. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Um, but 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 that sort of got me back into it uh, mm -hmm. when I was in radio there, I, and putting my collection together, and mm -hmm. um, uh, it just sort of reignited. Uh, what I always known that I'm kind of nuts for comics, and, right? Uh, um, so it was only really probably a matter of time before I really did something else with them other than read them. Yeah, that's why I asked because you know, I didn't know really you worked in radio before, and I said, well, that's kind of a switch. <laughs> so it's like to go from that to a comic book retailer. You must have come across a collection or just collected your whole uh, your collection yourself, as it were. Okay. Yeah. Hey, well, one of the things that was kind when I did that Fantastic Four campaign, mm -hmm. um, I wasn't in the business, but because it got publicity, I got calls from people in and around the Stockton area. Hey, I've got a collection. Mm. Uh, do you know what I should do with it? Uh, blah, 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 that sort of thing. So I'd, I'd go to different places in and around the Stockton area and check out people's comics collections, and in a few cases, I bought them. Mm. And, uh, uh, my collection, though, really didn't become the basis of uh, the what we open the store with. Uh, mm. um, I, I, um, I I really wanted to keep the two things separate. Yeah, okay. But what what I did when we opened that was probably uh, a really good thing for me to do was I stopped actively collecting comic books and adding to my collection then because I knew that if good collections came into the store. I'd be wanting to compete with my customers for the stuff. It's like, oh, I can, I can just put this one over here into my collection. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, my deal was opening the stores. I knew I was going to have to sacrifice something, and it was really my comics collecting that got sacrificed because I wanted to make sure to take care of the people who were coming in here rather than take care of myself. Mm. <laughs> now it's interesting. Uh, maybe somebody told me before, but. I, it just never crossed my mind. I didn't know you were the person that uh, got the Stockton campaign and uh, got in contact with Stan Lee. I mean, I knew about the uh, Stockton thing, and I know about your history, but I guess in the many times we've spoken, it never came up. Yeah, so I'm well, like, I'm sitting here going, how come I didn't know this? <laughs> so, you, you know, the, the funny thing is, I'm not the one who contacted Stan Lee. Oh. Um, 
I had put into Al's comic shop there. Mm. And we, we had 350 or 400 people sign this petition asking Marvel to fix this glitch in their continuity <laughs> because in the, in the original uh, issue it said, in Center City, and then later on writer Roger Stern amended it to, it to it was called Central City, California. That's where the Fantastic Four were based. And uh, when I looked at it, I said, hey, wait a minute. You know, you've got all of these superheroes that are in New York. You've got some that are in Chicago. You've, you've got the West Coast Avengers and Palos Verdes, for goodness sake. <laughs> but but hey, you're stuck with this Central City, California. And while there is an El Centro, California, there's no Central City, California. So I looked at the map, and I thought, you know what the most central city in California is, is, is Stockton. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, so I proposed having them make this continuity glitch go away. And uh, initially they weren't too, uh, you know, enamored with the idea because John Byrne had ideas to take uh, Central City and rocket it 10,000 years into the future. And uh, <laughs> and, and he did do that. Um uh, in a story just before the the 25th anniversary issue, which is when uh, it does say that they are from Stockton, and, and where the the thing is walking through the um, uh, pasture in, in Stockton and uh, comes up to the city limit sign and the whole bit. So, um, but when when that whole thing happened, uh, I got up in front of the city council. It hit the local newspaper, then it hit the associated. Associated Press and United Press International, yeah. uh, and and that's when the LA Times got involved with it, and they're the ones who contacted okay. Stan okay. because they knew that the, the editors in New York maybe weren't totally crazy about the idea, <laughs> but when but when Stan got into it and said, um, you know, it's our mission to save universes every day. This is the least we can do for good old Stockton, you know, and. <laughs> That was um, uh, that was the final straw. Marvel had to do something with it, and uh, well, funny enough, with that, <laughs> they had a uh, Jim Shooter called me, uh, and he said, uh, "You know, we really want to make uh, Stockton. Uh, we want to represent it well in the comics. So if you could take a couple of rolls of film and just send a, <laughs> send us the prints, so that we have some." Uh, uh, some actual footage, uh, some actual shots to, to go from when the artists do this book. I said, well, great, I'll do that. Well, I did it, and it was one of Stockton's typically foggy days. Oh. <clears throat> so, I mean, they could have put anything into the book, and it would have looked like Stockton that day. Um, but um, it, it was a fun, a fun little exercise to do that. <laughs> um, I still would like to... I know uh, Stan you know, usually was very good-natured about things, but I wonder if the very first time he was told about it, he said, what in the world? <laughs> Why would we do this? <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you uh, something that's not a secret, and that is that Stan loves talking to the media. Yeah, yeah. So if the, if the media called, then Stan was going to love the idea. <laughs> but I, <laughs> if, if, if it meant that maybe a camera was going to be put in his face, Stan loved the idea. True, true. And, and, and when, when we actually had the event on the steps of City Hall, every TV station from San Francisco, San Jose, and mm -hmm. Sacramento, 
remember that part it, of it. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it was yeah. it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was, and, and Stan did interviews with each one of them and had a different line for each one of them. And uh, he just loved being on that whole day. Yeah. It was it was a pretty fun thing to watch. <laughs> Oh, well, moving from there, I know you went on uh, to something that's actually just as significant in comic books as you originated the free comic book day. Yeah. Um, you told me that story, but now we're on a podcast, so you have to tell me it again. Uh, how and why did you come up with something like that? Are you crazy? Giving away comic books for free? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, my my late friend, uh, my late, late and dear friend Bill Liebwitz, who ran Golden Apple Comics in L.A., mm-hmm. called me uh, after the first free comic book day in 2002. Mm-hmm. And he said, I didn't go to Hebrew school for six years to learn how to give things away. What are you doing? <laughs> my 
there and was, we have to do this thing. <laughs> um, and for me, what's, what's kind of poignant about that meeting was that was uh, October 2001. That was the first time that a number of these publishers had flown out of New York post 9-11. Wow. And so there was uh, uh, a much different spirit of cooperation and camaraderie among different publishers uh, mm -hmm. than uh, was typical of the business then or now. Um, and uh, I had been a part of uh, deals where retailers had asked publishers to pitch in and be part of like a, a Got Milk campaign for comics. Mm -hmm. um, and those always devolved into your lawyer has to talk to my lawyer, has to talk to that lawyer, that sort of thing. So in this one, it was none of that. Wow. It was total cooperation. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, even uh, Jim Valentino then, who was the, the publisher of Image Comics, who suggested putting it on the weekend that the Spider-Man movie came out. Oh, okay. um, and for a competing publisher to recognize the, the value of um, Hollywood's promotion helping Free Comic Book Day and helping out the comics industry, that was a pretty wise thing, I think. Okay. Yeah, I always wondered why it was in May, the first weekend in May. Um, so it was due to the Spider-Man promotion, basically? Uh, yeah. I, when I originally put the column out there, I thought, hey, we'll do it in the springtime because that's generally when you're going to find more people where they are uh, than if you do it in the summertime or do, try to do it around the holidays or, or whatever. Uh, so the spring was the, uh, the better time for it. Uh, even the, the free scoop nights were April, May, or June, something like okay. that. So, um, so we, uh, we, we decided it because of the movie. I, I think I originally, uh, thought that it should be sometime in mid April, but, uh, having it the first weekend in May just pushed it off by two weeks, which mm. is, yeah. And then in your original column, I haven't seen it, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. uh, um, did you envision what actually happened? I mean, that everybody would get together and put out one or maybe two issues with maybe new material or even reprint material at a you know, you know, yeah, a discounted price for stores to buy to give out for free. Or was right. it not that well, thought out? <laughs> it was just free well, comic books. Well, it, it, it may not have been that thought out in terms of new material, because honestly, at that point, um, uh, we were coming out of years of the comics sort of being in the doldrums, and uh, it, it was a pretty difficult scene at that point. So there, there was a lot, a lot of comics that could be used for that that would be uh, that would have been reprint comics. They would have just been fine because nobody had read them anyway. Right. Um, and a, a reprint isn't isn't old to somebody who hasn't read it. Right. Uh, so uh, and still a, a fair amount of the free comic book day editions are previously printed material. Right. But it, uh, but the whole thing was it wasn't necessarily about new or old material. It was about putting the best foot forward uh, by giving. Uh, in each comic, giving readers a full scoop, if you will. You mm -hmm. know, it, uh, uh, if you give them a full story rather than a sample of something, uh, they're much more likely to come back and, and want to um, get something else. Uh, if you give them a sample, it's like it's easy to walk away because the experience 
And that was in so, your, that was in your original proposal, is just to have it a yeah. full book, like a standard book. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. and, and 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 that retailers would buy uh, bundles of these from publishers at a, a, a greatly reduced wholesale cost um, because we would all be sharing in this promotion. And, right. um, and uh, I think I might may have even had it in there, but originally some of the the printers uh, were also. Uh, selling to publishers at reduced prices or at cost because they knew that this was uh, an event that would lead to uh, higher sales for the industry as a whole. Right. Now, you said there is general cooperation, but was there anybody balking going, we can't do that, I, you know, I need to make money here, or you know, something like that, or was everybody really in on it? I think for the most part people were in on it. Okay. Um, that's not to say that some publishers haven't found a way to make money on it, because <laughs> uh, because they'll always they'll always do that. But um, uh, I think for the most part, publishers uh, have found a way to pass along the costs um, that are uh, that, that make it uh, affordable for retailers, um, and uh, and still make it something where a retailer is going to say, "I'm going to order." Did you have that in your original thought, uh, you know, where the costs would go, or was that not even planned out? I, that was planned out later. I didn't have I didn't have the specific cost because honestly, not being a publisher, I, I wouldn't know what those costs would be. Yeah. But um, the idea was greatly reduced wholesale price mm-hmm. uh, to make it affordable for retailers to give them away. Okay. You know, yeah. the deal is uh, I take it back to the ice cream scoop. Right. first place did you actually yeah. consult with the baskin robbins company or did you just go next door and ask quick questions or did you just figure it out on your own <laughs> I, I 
uh, I asked a couple of basic questions. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the franchisee here at the time owned not this, not only this store, but a, uh, another store about eight or ten miles from here. Mm-hmm. And um, and at one of the stores, they they gave out twelve hundred scoops. Oh wow! <laughs> and, and at a smaller store, they gave out nine hundred and fifty scoops. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, I thought, okay, that's you know, that's a that's a lot of people coming through because mm-hmm. there there aren't people going back through that line to get more scoops. You should, right. There's a, there's a time to be able to do that. Um, and uh, so I I looked at that and I thought that's just an amazingly great way to get people in the door. Right. And the whole idea is if we can get uh, people in the door who are interested in comics, even with just a minimum amount of interest in comics, we have the opportunity to show them all kinds of things that they didn't know was going on. Hmm. And um, and that's been our goal since day one. It's not just a thing where it becomes a, a carousel of, here, give these comics and get out of the store. Here, uh, we'll give you these comics. Now get out of the no, we yeah. want people to come in here, experience what we have, see what we have, and and be able to see the, the the breadth of entertainment that can be found in comics, whether it's, you know, nostalgic reprints from the 1920s or whether it's, you know, super cutting-edge stuff from uh, that came out this week. Mm-hmm. And, and, and know, whether you, it's kid stuff or adult stuff, it uh, doesn't matter. Right. And in your plans, did you think that, oh, this would also drive sales up of the non-free books, um, or was that not really in consideration? Or Oh, no. no. The consideration was always, this is going to be something that's good for sales. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and and uh, all, uh, the, my background on that was that, um, uh, uh, back to the radio days, one of the things I did in my, uh, in my last days in radio was I was working with the Northern California Comic Dealers Association uh-huh. to, okay. to do, use their co-op funds. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Marvel and DC Comics did uh, had co-op uh, advertising funds available. Mm-hmm. If you promote their product in a specific way, they'll pay for fifty percent of the ads. Mm. Um, and in some cases, because we were a group, they'd pay for seventy-five percent of the ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the rare occasion, we get them to pay for all of it. But um, but from about nineteen eighty-eight to about nineteen ninety-one or so, uh, we. Spent uh, the Northern California comic dealers spent in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars promoting comics, and and yes, our stores were mentioned. It was a it was a shorter number of stores that were a part of it. Not every not every store was in it, mm-hmm. but uh, we know that it helped sales in other shops. Mm-hmm. But past that, it, whether we were advertising. Um, uh, Ren and Stimpy or Spider-Man or Superman, um, we knew that if the ads were well-placed, well-designed, and reached the audience, they'd get people into the store. And we found that they sold a lot of Calvin and Hobbes books for us. They sold a lot of Far Side. They sold a lot of uh, back issues and random tchotchke kinds of things. That It was a matter of getting people in the door to see what we had to, uh, that, that made it a success. It wasn't mm-hmm. that we were measuring the success solely on whether we sold those Superman or Spider-Man comics. It was how many people did you get in, and and what were they buying? Mm-hmm. And so th- those uh, by those metrics. 
Now, I've I've probably participated as a a customer since the first one, but uh, uh, of course the number of titles has increased. I mean, it's probably hundred over a hundred titles each year now. Uh, well, do, do, no, it's less than that. It's still less than that. No, okay, it, it seems it, like it's it, it, it's capped at fifty every year. Oh, it is capped at fifty. Okay, apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when it started, how many did you have? Do you remember the first year? How many there were? There were there, there were four main titles. Okay. Um, uh, DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, and Image. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Oni Press gave us some backstock to use, as did a, a, a couple of other pub- smaller publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then it grew the next year and the next year. And at one point we had, I think we had 63 or 64 comics as a part of it. Okay. And Diamond and the retailers on the committee, we decided that it, it was just getting to be a little bit too much. Okay. Uh, that uh, <laughs> if we allowed everything in, then it would sort of reduce the specialty of what okay. what the day actually is. So that's when we um, put it to twelve gold edition comics, and the and the gold comics are the uh, that's the gold level uh, are the ones that are in every store that participates, okay. and then they're. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are ones that uh, retailers can buy in on a smorgasbord deal. You don't have to buy them all. You can buy whatever you want of any of them. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there have generally, over the last few years, there have been two comics that we're, we're not calling free comic book day comics, but they are uh, educational or um, informational uh, comics that are a part of it. The CBLDF generally does one, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Right. And then uh, Gemstone does one that is uh, an Overstreet, uh, Overstreet Price Guide uh, introduction comic. Right. So, uh, but, uh, so yeah, technically maybe there are 52, but it's it's 50 comics plus okay. the the two for for educating people about things. Okay. Because I, 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 you know, I haven't helped him in a while, but I used to help. Our mutual friend Lee Hester at his shop. Yeah, you know, and so it seemed like it kept increasing, increasing, increasing. And but that was a few years ago that I was helping him before I moved up here in Oregon. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you put a cap on it. So <laughs> I kind of understand no, why. It, it, I get a little unwieldy at five hundred comic books on free comp. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and uh, I will tell you, it's not an easy thing to have capped it because uh, I get the calls from the publishers who don't uh, don't make it. Yeah. The ones that send in, we we get in excess of eighty applications every year oh, wow. for fifty spots, mm. um, and so that leaves thirty publishers out in the cold in terms mm. of wanting to be a part of it, but not uh, not being voted in, yeah. and um, and that's a difficult thing. Uh, but um, uh, if if everything was easy to get into, nobody would want to be a part of it. So. Uh, <laughs> So, so you're really actively involved in it still. It wasn't just an idea and then other people are now running it. You're actually there making decisions and everything like that? Um, uh, in terms of uh, how how it works, uh, Diamond still does most of that, okay. but in terms of the comics that get chosen, yeah, I I, I head a retailer committee that chooses the comics well, that go cool. in. Yeah. Wow. Um, because yeah, I never knew how active you still were with it. You know, it's like here's my idea, and now you guys run with it or something. Or if you, well, were, well yeah. you know, I mean, the, the smartest thing I did was hand it off to Diamond because, as sort of the 
central conduit for everything comics related in the U.S. They uh, in Canada. I mean, they they're pretty much the the go-to spot. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of distribution and facilitating things, getting flyers out to stores, getting information out, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to do that, and I, and I knew that from the start. Um, but I, I have still been regularly involved with it in terms of choosing the comics and uh, uh, working with Diamond uh, on publicity, um, uh, doing interviews for different media, and um, and just generally being there as sort of a, a guide for it to make sure that everything stays on track. Mm. Now when this happens every year in May, uh, do you see a spike in sales that's consistent or just like the one week or maybe a week after and then it's done and you're like, oh, back to the old drawing board? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a, a lot of that depends on what we do with it. You okay. know, uh, th- There have been times when we've uh, done... Uh, sort of bounce back kinds of things where um, you know the publishers bring out really highly uh, anticipated titles uh, the Wednesday after free comic book day or two weeks after that or whatever and and we're able to promote that on the day to try to get people back in Um, uh, there are uh, what what I try to do is also have other events lined up post free comic book day to invite people back mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, there's a, a, there's a huge sales spike on the day right there um, that week is our usually our biggest week of the year mm-hmm. um, uh, and I would say almost always it's our biggest week of the year even even above Christmas week mm-hmm. uh, and that's not necessarily the case for every retailer but yeah. but for a number it is um, and um, you know, uh, um, the, the, the whole thing with Free Comic Book Day is, uh, as I said before, it's a best foot forward deal. It, and if we are putting our best foot forward and giving people an experience that uh, is memorable, they'll want to come back sooner rather than later. The thing about being a comics retailer, and this is so different than most any other line of work, Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have really keyed in on as, as you know, the years have gone by, is that we, uh, comic retailers, are in the enviable position of uh, having uh, stores in which people actively look forward to going to them, and then as they come in and get their stuff and check out they're already looking forward to the next time they're going to come in. Right. You really can't say that about many businesses. Yeah. And uh, and, and the thing is, we're in the business of selling happiness on a daily basis. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, people leave here happier than when they came in, and they were happy to come in. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, beautiful deal. Right. Now, I just wanted to ask you about this because it's a different kind of tactic, but it is similar as far as repeat business. It's the only thing I can think of similar to comic books would be uh, the record business, and 
there are various record store days, but unlike the free comic book day, there's no free records. You actually have to pay for them, but they are usually limited editions or something like that. Is there ever a consideration to do another day or, or anything, or even on free comic book day, of having a few exclusives that yet yeah, the customers would actually have to pay for? I need to tell you about the other promotion I'm involved with. Uh-huh. It's been going. Oh, we're, we're about to enter year five with it. Okay. Um, that's local comic shop day. Okay. Local I've heard of that actually, day. and I okay. forgot about that. So yeah, thank you for okay. reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to put it. I got to put it more more in the front of your mind here, Mark. Um, so uh, lo- local comic shop day this year will be November twenty third, twenty nineteen. All right. Uh, we are in the process now of announcing what some of the exclusive editions are that we will have for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, uh, there's a nice lineup of stuff that will only be available from participating local Comic Shop Day retailers on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, retailers can sign up at comicspro.org. Um, and um, yes, so, but there's, there's a larger story here I want to tell you about because you've mentioned Record Store Day. Yeah. Did you know that Record Store Day came out of Free Comic Book Day? I didn't know that, but I kind of figured. <laughs> so, let me, if, you, if you let me tell the story, here we go, okay? Okay. So, Free Comic Book Day, uh, you know, happens in 20, uh, 2,200 to 2,400 shops every year uh, all over the world. It's now in like 60 different countries. Um, uh, A number of years ago, uh, maybe it was the second or third free comic book day, a friend of mine who has two stores in uh, the state of Maine, um, Casablanca Comics run by Rick Lowell, Mm -hmm. uh, he has uh, stores in Portland and Wyndham, Maine. Um, At his main store in Portland, uh, uh, his shop was right next to a record store. Mm -hmm. Um, A small... uh, uh, a, a chain record store called Bull Moose, hmm. and uh, the um, uh, the head of Bull Moose Records at that time was the head of the Independent Record Store Dealers Association. Hmm. <laughs> on on Free Comic Book Day, uh, he sees a huge line out in front of his store, but they're not going into Bull Moose; they're going into <laughs> Casablanca Comics. <laughs> This is like a beginning of a funny comic strip. It's like, how come they're getting all the business and everybody's lying for something? That's right. (laughs) Okay. uh, uh, I can take this in a bunch of different directions. But anyway, so he, uh, he, the the gentleman from Bull Moose, contacts uh, Rick, the owner of Casablanca, and says, what's this going on? He said, it's free comic book day. And he looks at it and says, we got to do this for the music business. <laughs> and so when they put it together, they knew that they were going to be able to give CDs or, or vinyl or that sort of stuff away. They weren't going to be able to get record companies to give them stuff to give away for free, although there are a few little freebie things on, on yeah. uh, Record Store Day. Yeah. But they'd be able to do limited edition things. And at that point, uh, this was just before the vinyl revival and they thought that maybe that was uh, Record Store Day was the best way to really move 
primary mover of pushing vinyl back out into the <laughs> public and making it a big deal. Mm. So um, um, I, I say this as a big music fan too, and and, and a you know occasional vinyl collector. I got <laughs> I'm super happy the free comic book day led to this thing that's uh, uh, making record stores healthier and led to the vinyl revival. Yeah. So I am um, too. Since now I know that. <laughs> so.
figured you put next to comics. <laughs> and I, I, well, I, 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 I put celebrating one of the world. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, yeah, um, and then across the bottom it said comics will always be number one. <laughs> See. <laughs> so, yeah. I still have that poster, and it's actually hanging up in our bathroom in the store. That's funny. <laughs> now, um, for our last little topic here, um, you know, I I told you about our mutual friend Lee. He said, yeah. "Oh, when you talk to Joe, ask him about music." So I've never talked to you about music, so uh, there oh. must be a reason to talk to you about music. But then you said you were in radio and stuff, and you yeah. are happy about record store day. So, what can you tell me about music that I should know? <laughs> what can I tell you about? That's, that's uh, very generic. <laughs> well, yeah, it is kind of generic. The thing is, um, uh, one of the, early in the conversation, I told you that when I opened the store, I needed to stop collecting comics because I wanted didn't want to compete with my customers, and mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, I what I did at that point was I. Uh, I went further into collecting music, uh, but I also started to collect original comic art, mm-hmm. and that was my way, because I wasn't going to be selling original comic art here, that I could still stay in the comics hobby, but do it in a different way. So I've got a really nice original uh, comics art collection here, uh, mm-hmm. not one that I'm adding to a whole lot anymore, because the yeah. market's gotten out of hand for me, but right. um, but, uh, but uh, music sort of became my number one hobby mm-hmm. and um, I've always been a diehard music guy I have uh, um, uh, one of my good friends growing up can tell you going to a record store with me was always an experience because <laughs> I was the guy who was looking at the back of the album to find out who produced it who oh, engineered wow. it because I knew what kind of a sound it would have oh, so I'd wow. buy a Carly Simon album because it was produced by Richard Perry who produced two of my favorite albums Just say, hey, I like Carly Simon, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I, I'm talking way back when, when I didn't necessarily know the artist all that right. well. Oh, so I see. I, you, yeah. um, you know, where I, uh, I, I'd stretch it out, uh, and, and this will really throw my cool cred right out the window. But <laughs> I'd buy a, Ra- I'd buy a Randy Edelman album because he's the one who wrote Weekend in New England by Barry Manilow. Oh boy. <laughs>
why in the world uh, I know why, I can tell you why uh, why I bought a Procol Harum live with the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra album in 1972 I bought that because I heard uh, their song Conquistador on oh, the radio and I went wow that is a great piece of music <laughs> and, and I could not find the original album it was on so I bought the, the live album it was from and that live album turns out to be one of my all time favorite records yeah or my friend who said, hey, you want to try this album if you, uh, you know, because you like that stuff that sounds like a symphony. And so he gave me uh, Electric Light Orchestra's mm. El Dorado album. And mm. I went, okay, yep. I'm done. Okay, so <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now naming some of my favorite old records. But yeah, um, yeah so um, so what, what did that lead me to? It, <laughs> it's led me to chasing all kinds of great, bands um, and one of those great bands is a band called Spock's Beard that oh, uh, has been around now for about 25 years um, originally based out of Southern California um, they took what was happening with old prog music like uh, Yes and Genesis and kind of synthesized it into something that was newer and different and, and super cool with really big harmonies and some stellar playing and um just all kinds of great stuff going on in it. And so my wife and I have seen Spock's beard in uh, uh, all kinds of places. We've flown to Southern yeah. California a couple of times to see him. We went to a, 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 the Three Rivers Progressive Festival in Pittsburgh in 2008 to see them and a bunch of other bands. And from getting back into that music when it was introduced to me, uh, you know, I got into Spock's Beard in about 2000 or 2001. Hmm. And from that, uh, we just started to see all these other bands and, and sample some of that stuff out. Hmm. So between Power Pop and, and Prog Rock, I'm, I'm totally broke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, uh, one of the bands um, uh, uh, was Spock's Beard. After their original lead singer left, his name is Neil Morse, uh, the second lead singer's name was Nick B. Virgilio. And Nick is a guy who auditioned to be Genesis' drummer when Phil Collins left. Um, And uh, is a fantastically gifted player. He not only plays drums, he plays guitars, he plays keyboards, he sings. Um, He, uh, a number of years ago, was the... um, uh, one of the orchestra uh, or one of the music directors for Cirque du Soleil's Totem show that was touring oh. all over the world. Wow. <laughs> and uh, when Totem was based in San Francisco before they came here I, and I knew they were they were on the way I you know uh, Nick knows who I am because of the, all the shows that we've been to with Spock's Beard that some of them might only have been attended by 20 or 25 people that um, uh I contacted them and said, hey, you know, if you're going to be in this area, do you think maybe you'd want to do a solo show in my comic store? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. (laughs) So um, the only day for him that was workable was a Monday because uh, they were doing shows six six days a week. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me a list of dates, and one of them turned out to be my wife's birthday. (laughs) And I said, let's do a birthday party, and you're going to be the the, the performer. He said, awesome. So it turned out it was her birthday party a couple of weeks before, um, uh, about, about 10 days before her birthday that uh, that year. She fell, fell 
Mm. They're a British band. They, they do have a um, a Swedish uh, guitar player, but uh, it's pretty much an all British band except for Nick, who's American, and he's their drummer and and uh, background vocalist. Libby and I love this band so much <laughs> that we took our first two trips to Europe to see them. Wow. <laughs> In 2015 and 2017, we built trips to Europe around seeing Big Big Train in London, mm. and um, it is—it's a 13-piece band. There's five members of a. Uh, there's five five members who play brass instruments, and then eight others who play a variety of different instruments, from guitar, violin, keyboards, drums—you uh, uh, name it. Uh, it it's, it's out there. They feature uh, one of their lead guitarists is Dave Gregory from the uh, 80s band XTC. Mm. Um, there's the pedigree is really strong. They're, they're, it's a fantastic band and it's well worth checking out. Um, and most of their most of their music uh, up until their most recent album, which just won the uh, the Prague Award yesterday for album of the year. Uh, mm. So they're definitely uh, uh, in full flight in terms of uh, their direction going straight up. But most of their songs have been about English history and different things of that sort. Um, uh, but uh, with their latest one, they've expanded it. There's stuff about Mary and Percy Shelley. There's stuff mm. about um, uh, 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 Leonardo da Vinci. There's It's, it's, it's an amazing amazing piece of work called The Grand Tour. Um, uh, well worth checking out for anybody who's into music. Now, have, they have they toured the U.S. It, yet, or no? They have not, oh. but, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, news for your listeners, um, they, <laughs> they will be making their, their stateside debut next May, Ooh. the week after Free Comic Book Day. <laughs> Get that plug in. My wife and I are we're <laughs> flying to Florida to see them. Wow. So, yes. Um, cool. <laughs> uh, so they're they're going to finally take on the states, and we couldn't be happier about it. Right. Um, uh, they're they're definitely on the way up. Now, with all this music, so, do you just see live yeah. bands at this point, or do you still collect? Or oh, um, uh, I I I buy a lot of music. I'm not sure that I would consider it collecting, but I uh, but if you look uh, if you look at my CDs, you would say yes, he's a collector. <laughs> Well, I mean, you still buy things on CD or vinyl. You don't just stream like everybody else seems oh, to do nowadays. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm, I'm still one of those guys who needs to decipher what they're saying. I, I, yes, I yes, get into yes. the bands by looking up the lyrics online, but if they if they don't have them in a in a in a booklet with a CD, but I am also looking at you know who's engineering the album, who's producing it, who are they using as guest musicians, what and and what. What else have those guest musicians done that I should be aware of? So wow. it's always trying to move on from one thing to the next to see if there's other stuff out there that I'll like that I might be missing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're, we're still very much into it. I, I I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not a Netflix guy. I don't do Hulu. <laughs> I don't do uh, Amazon. Could blow up tomorrow, and I'd be a happy guy. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, please don't come and arrest me for saying that. But um, <laughs> but uh, if Amazon just left the face of the earth, we would definitely all be better for it. Um, <laughs> um, I, and so I don't want to give them any business. So I, um, you know, most, a lot of people. 
people will, buy, uh, you know, take the the uh, the lazy way out, and they'll buy their music either streaming or uh, or buy it via Amazon. But yeah. I still go to the band's website or to the musician's website and buy directly from them whenever possible because I want to support them as much as possible. Yeah. If I'm going to buy the stuff, I want the person who's making it to benefit the most. Right. I I do and try to buy everything in stores like yours or something like yeah. that over buying something online still but obviously i can't be that rigid if i want something and i can't find it anywhere i have to go to amazon or ebay or something but i still put priority on the store the actual physical store even if i know it costs more i will still buy it in the store because well yeah you know. yeah I, I get that and and the thing is you don't need amazon then because there are uh, e- e- um if if it's on Amazon, it's generally available from another source. Right. And, and what what I found is yes, there are a number of stores on Amazon that are selling. <laughs> and so what I've done is I've I've just gone out the back door and and contacted them directly. It's like I'd re- much rather buy it from you direct than buy it from Amazon. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, so so that that's what I've started to do. And and there's you know some of this uh, the prog music that I like. There are a couple of retailers that. Um, that do a good job with it, and mm-hmm. as there are for the power pop music that I like. There's, uh, I like to, you know, support. Uh, there's a company called Cool Cat Music, and mm-hmm. I used to be a big supporter of uh, a site called Not Lame Music, which was um, <laughs> uh, uh, had all kinds of great stuff. And um, yeah, so I found ways to do it without having to feed the beast. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I try my best at, at that way, too, and I try to patronize stores yeah. or individuals, like you're saying. I will buy directly, too, uh, if I can, yeah. on things, you know, so. And, uh, and, hey, and later today, I'm going to, I'm going out to see a, a live performance. Uh, we're, we're going into Oakland to see uh, the Zombies and Brian Wilson. Yes, I almost, oh. I almost went to see them. They're up in Portland here. But yeah. uh, I, I opted to instead to go to see the Beach Boys, which is the other members of Mike Love and everything, sure. uh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, it was just cost of admission to the State Fair in Oregon. So it's like versus uh, well, that makes a big difference. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, you know, one one of the best live shows I ever saw. Well, two, I'll 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 give you two because it's the Zombies and the Beach Boys. Yeah. So, uh, I saw Brian Wilson with his band play at Davy Symphony Hall wow. about ten years ago, and it was fantastic. Um, it actually brought tears to my eyes when he, uh, uh, the whole band went into service up because the, yeah. the harmonies on that thing are just so yeah. blissful, and um, and it's, it's 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 a it's a beautiful piece of music. It, yeah. It's as classical as any classical piece of music. Yeah. Um, then about fifteen years ago. When the zombies had reformed, they did. They didn't know how they were going to be received, so they did shows at small clubs. And one of those clubs was a place called Cafe du Nord in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Holds maybe three hundred people. Yeah. And uh, that night, it was. Uh, there were a couple of bands that opened up. I think Chris von Snyder opened up, and there might have been another one of the local San Francisco power pop bands uh, opening for them. But. Mm-hmm. Zombies. When they came on, Colin Blundstone's voice is still still beautiful after yeah. all these years. But it's like they made eye contact with every single person in there. Yeah. It was it, it was, 
an amazing show, and it was like a happening because yeah. before the concert, as we were lined up outside waiting to get in, there were so many people begging to buy tickets at yeah. huge dollars. Yeah, it was uh, because they they knew what this meant. This is one of the first times they were going to be able to see this band that hadn't performed together yeah. in more than forty years, and it, it was it was uh, that's high up there on my. Uh, list of all-time live shows. Yeah, I should probably go see them, but I'm always cheap. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> that particular week, I had seen the Beach Boys, Steve Miller, and REO Speedwagon. So it's like that. Was, <laughs> so if, uh, let, let, let me tell you. Okay, so we saw REO Speedwagon with Chicago about <laughs> three years ago yeah. at the at the Concord Pavilion, mm-hmm. and I have to tell you, um, yeah, I, I, I. I I like some. Uh, I like Ario Speedwagon's hits, but um, that was the first show on that tour, and so I should probably cut Kevin Cronin some slack. <laughs> but I saw one of the absolute cheesiest things I've ever seen a performer do Uh-oh. at a concert. <laughs> what? <laughs> he had he had a lyric sheet in his back pocket when the two bands started to do each other's songs with. So he. Brought the lyrics out on a sheet of paper in front of him to sing twenty-five or six to four. Oh boy! <laughs> it looked so bush league. I could not even <laughs> believe it. And I walked out of there going, "I don't. Uh, <laughs> you got to be more prepared than that. You know, you, you, you've got seven thousand people or eight thousand people who are there watching you, and that's what you're going to do." It was. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen in concert. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only uh, the only thing I've ever seen similar to that, which isn't really a bad thing, is uh, I saw Michael Nesmith a couple years ago, and he had a, a iPad that had all the lyrics to his own songs, but at least it was very subtle, you know. But I, I could tell yeah. that that's where, what he was doing because he can't remember them. So, yeah. oh well. But at least he sang and he did it well, and you know. But I could tell that you know he's like having little memory problems there. So, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the, the Brian Wilson does that too, but for yeah. other reasons. So, oh. uh, it's, you know, I, uh, I I can understand it in some cases, especially in, uh, you know, uh, but I mean, they were only singing big hits, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it, it was uh, not not a good look. But yeah. uh, I, I've had so many other great concert experiences. Yeah. It's uh, so have I, uh, and I I can't go to everything. I mean, people listening go, "Why didn't you go to this?" And it's like. Oh geez, there's so many I have gone to. I could go. I could rattle off all these names. I mean, it's like I could say I saw Rolling Stones in '81, which I did for fifteen dollars a yeah. ticket. So I mean, it's like oh, I've yeah. seen good concerts, folks. It's Whoa. just you know, you know, I can't okay. go to everything. So you know. <laughs> well, let, let me give you one more story here. Then, right. while I got you, and, okay. and that is this: my wife still has her ticket stubs from the two times that she saw the Beatles. Ooh, ah, wow. Okay, jealous, okay. jealous, uh, jealous. At, at, at uh, um, San Diego Stadium uh-huh. uh, in 1964 mm. and at Dodger Stadium in 65. Mm. So the Dodger Stadium show, I think, happened just before the Candlestick show, which was their last time of yeah. uh, being on stage together in a concert performance, other than on the roof of the... Right. Yeah, anyway, um, so so year, years ago, I was away at a, a Comics Pro Industry Conference, 
open for them, oh, where we saw them, and if there, and then another little column for was there any kind of weird little thing that happened or any stories that are memorable. Huh. And, and so I can now go into a concert spreadsheet and sort that in a bunch of different ways for venues, for dates, for bands, for whatever, and see the, all the hundreds of shows that we've been to <laughs> in that time. It's a, uh, uh, that was a, definitely a work of love, but that'll show you how into music she is, yeah. too. So you're made for each other. <laughs> I mean, I could yeah. say I'm into music, but that takes the cake. I, I was like, uh, the only thing I can remember is, yeah, I saw McCartney down in L.A. when he first started touring again, and uh, uh, yeah. St- Stevie Wonder was special guest, uh, unannounced, and uh, so they did a Ebony and Ivory. And uh, for me to say, you know, I've never seen the zombies, but I did see Brian Wilson when he was with the Beach Boys in the 80s yeah. sometime, 87 or something like that, and he actually sang that night at the Circle Star theater um because apparently the next night they unplugged his microphone because he was acting up <laughs> so I, I saw him yeah. the night that and carl wilson was still around uh dennis had passed already but it was still the pretty much classic band at that point so. oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> so. well well we, we've had we've had a, a number of great experiences over the years and and seeing concerts and, and whatnot but it's uh uh, you know, the, this, the last story I'll tell you is this, and this is another music story. Okay. To tell you how into music uh, my my lovely wife is, <laughs> um, we have been we've been friends since we were about fifteen years old. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, we, we didn't start dating until we were like twenty. Hmm. But um, I can remember uh, one of the early times going over to her house and looking at her record collection. Mm-hmm. And seeing the seeing in this record collection that she had the Moody Blues and Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and Crosby Stills and Nash and there was Grateful Dead in there there was all kinds of great stuff and lots of the Beatles and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, all of that and uh, I I looked at the record collection and I just thought to myself this girl is even cooler than I thought. <laughs> 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 and and we really didn't start dating for another good another couple of years after that. But like uh, that was that was one of those foreshadowing moments where I went something's really good here, and I <laughs> I got to be a part of this. <laughs> right. Wow, well that's it. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Well, we talked about a lot of things. I guess to to leave on a good note, uh, anything you'd like to plug or uh, uh, promote your website or how they can contact you or the next free comic book day, anything you'd like to say? Uh, oh, sure. Well, uh, you know, the, the next free comic book day is May 2nd, 2020. That's, it's always the first Saturday in May. Don't come in the second Saturday and say, where are the free comics? Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that happens every year. Um <laughs> The uh, uh, you can reach me at Flying Colors Comics here in Concord, California, any old time. Uh, we're at flyingcolorscomics.com, or you can get me on social media at Flyco Joe um, on Twitter and Instagram, or we also have a very active Facebook page. Um, our website's still pretty active. I still add to the blog now and again, and there's there's. Uh, some music stuff there there's some baseball stuff which we didn't even get into and I could <laughs> go on all day about that but um, there, there's and there's a lot of comic stuff Next so <laughs> um, I, I'm I, I'm easy to reach and hard to get rid of so um, 
um, you know, have at it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Joe Field, for being my special guest. Episode number 48 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. of your lose.